Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, May 6th is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation. What's so funny? I love the class. Yesterday's interview with the uh, Democratic Socialists. I go, D, play the cheering crowd. I don't have one. I play the broken glass. Yeah, we don't have the cheering crowd anymore. Uh, ever since we started in the radio days, had one. Podcast days, not. Maybe I should bring our studio audience back into my apartment. Um, the Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors. As well as the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. For all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go. What to do. What to eat. What to drink, what music to like, how to think politically. What? Yeah, it's true. Columns like Ben Jarofsky's and Maya Duke Masavas are up there as well. ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe, uh, get the paper. They still do that too. And if you want to help the Ben Jarofsky show, you can. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Not only on that website will you find our endless archive of episodes, over a thousand episodes. You can also become a bin head. That's what we call avid listeners of our program. It's a three-tier system. You can either join the alley, the avenue, or get some extra cash. You can be living large on Benny Boulevard. It's true. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky to help out the program. And he has a book as well. It's his greatest hits covering over 40 years of Chicago journalism in the Chicago Reader. It's his greatest hits. Do we have our guest? Is our guest here? Oh, all right. Looks like he's waiting to get in. <laughs> all right. Our guest is here. Ten minutes late. <laughs> okay, he's here. And the Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Thursday, May 6th. And live from my apartment in his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky show. Today on the program, it's all things the last city council meeting with Mr. City Council, David Glowetz. And now your host, not Mr. City Council. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Liz is Right Thursday. And here's why. I have to admit, I agree with Liz Cheney. Words I never thought I'd say. Not the I have to admit part. That part I say all the time. No, the agreeing with Liz Cheney part. She's, of course, daughter of Dick Cheney, former vice president of the United States. A man as responsible as anyone, with the possible exception of President W. Bush himself, of ensnaring us in two wars in this century. As his daughter, Liz Cheney, stuck with Dick Cheney through thick and thin. So generally speaking, the name Cheney is one that leads me to boo, as in boo, like I did on the night of the Oscars when they gave the Academy Award to Francis McDormand for Norm Nomadland as opposed to Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. One more time, boo. 
Liz Cheney has shown a lot of courage these days for taking the stand that as a public official, it might not be a good idea to go around spreading obvious lies, like the one that says Trump won when he actually lost. Apparently, 70% of the Republican voters agree with that lie, even if there's no evidence, none whatsoever to back it up. Trump just lies and lies and lies and lies until people roll over and make a concession. That's the secret to success. After a certain point, the other side just gives up and says, ah, give him what he wants. In this case, the other capitulation of the Republican Party. With the possible exception of Liz Cheney, who for speaking, for daring to speak the truth in this case, that Biden won and Trump lost, is getting ousted by the other Republicans in Congress from her congressional leadership position. She wrote a column about it for the Washington Post. I was reading it last night, and I found myself saying over and over again, my God, Liz Cheney is right. She's right. Again, words I thought I'd never said. Trump got so mad at her that he called her a warmonger, and I had a laugh at that, ladies and gentlemen. He's referring, of course, to the aforementioned Father Cheney, who got us involved in the aforementioned two wars. But I'd like to point out that Donald Trump never, ever lifted a finger to oppose either war. No, the only opposition, or the main opposition, I should say, to those wars came from the usual ragtag coalition of lefties, and I'm looking at one of them right now on my screen. Uh, The ragtag coalition of lefties that Donald Trump wouldn't be caught dead associating with, and who are routinely maligned as radical socialists who have seized control of the Democratic Party. And yet now he's calling Liz Cheney a warmonger. It's a weird world, people. Anyway, the scariest thing about the big lie uttered by Donald Trump is not that Republicans are using it to punish Liz Cheney for refusing to utter it. No, it's that they're using it as a pretext to undo laws and encourage people to vote. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis just signed one into law this morning. That new bill makes it more difficult for people in Florida to vote by mail and to use ballot drop boxes. It's a replica of new laws in Texas and in Georgia. The Georgia one was opposed by Coca-Cola, which has its corporate headquarters in Atlanta. In the aftermath, Trump called for MAGA to boycott Coke. Kind of laughed at it when he said it. But then a couple of weeks ago. At bowling, I heard a snatch of conversation between two MAGA men in the league. And one said to the other that he's not drinking tonight, as in not drinking booze, but he's not drinking Coke as a substitute. No way he's drinking Coke. And so they were punishing Coca-Cola for having opposed a restrictive voting law that was based on made-up accusations of fraud. And they're doing it at the command of Generalissimo Trump. That's power, folks. I've never seen a Republican have so much power over the rank and file even W, even Cheney. So yeah, on this point, I'm with Liz. Because in this case, the alternative is far, far worse. We got a great show today, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend. He's with Liz too, although he would never admit it. Dave Glowatz of Inside Chicago Government is with us. And once a month he comes on, he brings uh, various clips from city council meetings. We break them down, we analyze them. I'd like to point out, there, this is not rehearsed in any way. At no time did young Dave Glowatt share these clips with me. In fact, I begged him in our pre, <laughs> pre-show production meeting, please, Dave, please share the tapes. Nope. Yeah, it was weird, not guys. Do it, it ben. was I, weird. I hate it when you cry. <laughs> Very weird time. 
Not gonna do it. So anyway, Dave Glowatz is standing by. He's got the tape standing by. He's got Dr. D standing by, ready to go with another fun-filled educational journey through the minds of our aldermen and mayor. Cannot wait to take this journey. So just hold on. We'll be right here after the break. Now, um, the original Constitution of Illinois in 1818 explicitly stated only white males are eligible to vote. That's no longer written in our Constitution. But over 200 years later, Illinois laws still disenfranchise primarily black populations through felony disenfranchisement. Silenced, an Unlock Civics documentary is a story of the democracy we have created in the United States that silences millions of people who have been or are currently disenfranchised through incarceration. Premiering virtually on Thursday, May 13th at 6 p.m., Silenced, an unlocked an unlock civics documentary examines who is included in our democracy and who is left out. Reserve your free ticket at chicagovotes.com. That's Chicago votes with an s at the end dot com welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from his attic yeah whenever we play that song by michael girardi i start doing the air guitar i want to be a centrist i want to be extremely moderate i want to get really aristelian and hit the sweet spot right in the media yeah dave glowatz by the way you should have seen him d he was doing air guitar himself when girardi does that little air guitar solo wow 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 Dave Gloatz was like, yeah, Jimi Hendrix days. Anyway, yes, once a month, Dave Gloatz from uh, Inside Chicago Government joins us. He does an outstanding job of uh, breaking down city council meetings, uh, putting together little bits and pieces of evidence, clips, evidence of the great Democratic debates uh, in the city of Chicago and what's going on in the minds of our aldermen and our mayor, which just illuminate the government that we have. So Dave, welcome back to the show and take it away, young man. I'm always happy to be here with you and Dennis and thanks very much for having me again. You know, thinking about what the words are that come out of the mouth of Alderman and the mayor, it seems to me it doesn't necessarily tell us what's going on in their minds, right? It's, <laughs> it, it may give us a very different idea than what's going on in their mind. Just say it. For the record. Okay. <laughs> I sit corrected. Well, you, you know this, right? By the way, how uh, about that stinging guitar? I saw you playing air guitar there. I saw Dave go out going, oh, wow, wow. That was actually an itch I couldn't reach. Oh, but, I uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to play air guitar, yeah, especially when I'm playing pool. And I got a pool cue in my hand. <clears throat> and it's a rocking bar. I hope to be able to do that someday soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so today I'm going to talk about a few meetings. The first one is the full city council meeting on April 21, mm-hmm. which was the first to take place in council chambers since, since when, Ben? Can you, can you guess? 
Uh, yes, uh, it would have been February 2020. Ding, 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 ding. Give them the, the, the bonus prize. We'll announce that later. So 28 <laughs> aldermen attended in person, 22 via video conference. And it was kind of interesting. The, the 22 who were not there had their uh, faces displayed on the big monitor in the front of the room. And everyone who was present was told to stay masked, though apparently there were some aldermanic transgressions. The meeting lasted for a little over two and a half hours. Dennis, please, we're going to do hold first. This first bit we're going to hear is something that took place during the report of the council's zoning committee. And we'll hear committee chair Tom, Alderman Tom Tunney, tell what he wants to do with an ordinance, which is record number 02021-445, that would allow the expansion of a cannabis dispensary on Milwaukee Avenue near Lawrence Avenue in Alderman James Gardner's 45th Ward. Let's listen. Page one contains a zoning map amendment document number 02020-2990 for the address commonly known as 4758 through 4760 North Milwaukee Avenue. At this time, I want to make a motion to hold this in committee for further consideration and for a date certain at our next meeting that we will have an up-down vote on this. Chair recognizes Alderman Gardner. Yes, I'm just asking for a roll call vote on this. You're asking for a roll call vote on the motion to hold the matter in committee? No, no, I want I want to vote on it today. There's a motion that's pending to hold the matter in committee. That's procedurally where we are. Madam Clerk, call the roll. To hold this item in committee, correct? correct? There's a motion pending by the chairman of the committee to hold the matter in the committee. We're going to have a roll call vote on that matter. Madam President. The chair recognizes Chairman Tunney. For the members here and the members that are uh, on video conferencing, it is literally to hold it for one month. And we would have a date certain at our next council meeting on this. It's not to hold it because obviously the proponent or the sponsor of that has been waiting. And it's our effort that we can get this across the finish line at our next city council meeting. And there's a lot more discussion that needs to happen. And that's why I'm holding it. As I understand it, there'll be an up and down vote one way or the other next month to tee it up for city council. And then I would urge my council members to give me that courtesy to work on this for the next month. So there's a pending motion asking for a roll call vote. Chair recognizes Alderman Napolitano. Can you just give a little bit of a information on which way our vote is going? If we're voting no, for it to be held or? So a yes vote would be to defer to Chairman Tunney and hold the matter in committee. A no vote is to not hold the matter in committee. The chair recognizes Alderman Dow. I'm just trying to understand which one of my colleagues objected or wanted to have the vote. I didn't hear the name. Alderman Gardner, who's the sponsor, has an objection. The way to deal with that, given that there's a pending motion, is for a vote. That's why we're proceeding. Chair recognizes Chairman Osterman. To my colleague, Alderman Gardner, we understand the urgency that you want to have this enacted. I think that Chairman Tunney has expressed that this matter will be voted on in the next 30 days. And I think he's worked on this, and I think he has pledged today to work with you on this. So I guess I would just ask if you wanted to withdraw the motion, or do we want to go through the roll call? The chair recognizes Alderman Gardner. They have a vote. So that was a little sort of logistically challenging. What we heard there, Ben, was Alderman Gardner objected to Tunney's motion to hold the ordinance in committee because Gardner's ordinance came before the zoning committee twice before, both in February and March, 
So according to the council's rules, Gardner could ask that the ordinance be discharged from the committee so the council could vote, which is essentially what he was doing there. Reportedly, the reason Tunney wanted to delay it yet again is because the council's Black Caucus had asked the council to slow walk any approvals for Chicago cannabis dispensaries till the General Assembly strengthens racial equity provisions in state law, which, as you know, is a is a current controversy. So at the end, the end there, we heard uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot calling for the roll call. And at the end, the motion to hold by Tunney passed at a razor thin margin, 26 to 24. So it did, in fact, go back to committee. Wow. A lot to unpack there. And thank you. for. I didn't I was unaware of that. So let me just say this before each show. Uh, it's true. I go ask Dave, how many bits are you going to play? And uh, today I begged him to tell me. Usually I don't. And he didn't tell me. I did not know about this. And listening to that was very educational on several fronts, Dave. Number one, the complexities of a roll call vote. And I always kind of like felt sorry for the the first ward alderman, in this case, uh, Daniel Espada, uh, before him, Proco Joe Moreno. Uh, and because the first word is the first vote. So it's like, it could be really complex. And if you're uncertain, God, just imagine me doing this day with dyslexia. You know, I, I reverse everything. And I have to battle it. <laughs> so you're really uncertain. Like, is a yes vote the right vote or the no vote? The right, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, so I, would, it, I wouldn't want to be in that hot seat. I, I, I'm on a, a board. And uh, when we have to vote, sometimes I uh, I just sit on my hands like, oh, what are you guys going to do? Yeah. So in the old days, like all the other aldermen would like, wait for the first ward alderman to vote. Fred Rohde. Fred Rohde was the first ward alderman back in the 90s. Uh, and he was a, a mayor daily loyalist. Didn't he go to uh, prison? Uh, yes. Very, wow. I gotta give you credit. We just, you must've been listening to the show the other day when I chronicled, uh, all the people who, uh, were, uh, got in trouble, all the aldermen. Hey, can I take you on a tangent for a second? How many, all, how many sitting aldermen are currently under indictment? Sitting aldermen under yeah. indictment. Yeah. Under indictment. Uh, one. I don't think. So. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Ed Burke. Sitting, sitting aldermen who are actually in the city council right now, right now. I just did a column on aldermanic corruption for the reader. I don't know if it's come out yet. Uh, so Thompson is not under indictment. Oh, uh, I. How could I forget Patrick Daly Thompson? <laughs> I sit corrected. Uh, Carrie, yes, Carrie Austin has been raided, but not under indictment. Yes, she's not under. That's that was the trick question. I was thinking of Carrie Austin, but so uh, yeah. So, so Patrick true. Daly Thompson, uh, and uh, we're in a tangent with it, a tangent here. But uh, Patrick Daly Thompson, the alderman of the eleventh ward, and that's the one uh, that I, I it spurred me to write the column because people were defending him. Well, Ben, you know, uh, he got into trouble on a tax matter. It had nothing to do with his official capacity as alderman. I the the indictment also was. says he lied to the FBI, but that we, yes. won't, we won't debate that here. So in your memory, has there ever been any more than two sitting aldermen? On, at, on one, uh, at, at, at one time. time. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think so. Might this uh, be the record? Yeah, at one time. Sometimes in the 80s during, uh, God, now we're really going back. But in the 1980s, there was that scandal where the uh, the Fed sent in the uh, the mole, Michael Raymond, uh, to, I forget what they called it, but they, to get. Was uh, it Greylord? 
No, the Grey Lord was the one that had to do with corrupt the, judges. The judges. Uh, anyway, so they sent in Michael Silver Shovel? No, Silver Shovel had to do with the... <laughs> But the one illegal dumping on the west side, it's not funny because they left this huge mound of debris. I mean, it, they had this sting operation. They were so proud of it. They caught these aldermen taking payoffs from this dirty contractor who was then they would look the other way while he dumped all this debris on the west side. And then they just after their investigation and after their, their they made their case, they just left the debris there. So which like, guys, one, what about the debris? So which was the one that you're talking about in the 80s? In the 80s, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Michael Raymond. I remember the operative. What a, a, what a real wheeler dealer sleazy guy. And he got, I think, Wallace Davis and Cliff Kelly and a couple of other aldermen who probably should have known better uh, to to allegedly, I'm going to put allegedly in there because I can't remember the details. I always thought that Wallace and Cliff were, uh, you know, set up. set up. Yeah. But uh, so that was the one. I think there may have been more than one alderman back in the 80s uh, okay. who was indicted. So just uh, a little bit trivia. I was just curious when I saw Thompson. So going back to Fred Brody. Talking about the first word alderman being first yeah. to vote. So they, he's the first to vote. So they, he would he would get his instructions from the mayor's lobbyist. And so, so you knew he was always going to be with the mayor. So if you wanted to be against the mayor, all you had to do was vote the opposite of what Fred voted. And uh, it got a little trickier when the first ward alderman was Proco Joe, a little trickier, a little heavy emphasis, because every now and then he might throw a curve. Yeah, throw a curve and be against the all uh, mayor, Rom, you know what I mean? Uh, so then, the, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Anyway, so the, going back to your the, the clip that you played, uh, it was really illustrative of how aldermen are trying to figure out, wait a minute, what is the vote? And then you're trying to think, how should I vote? And, and it gets at the heart of, by the way, Dave said it was a very close vote, 26 to 24. <clears throat> it gets into the heart of alderman and prerogative. The local alderman in the ward, Jim Gardner, wants a vote on uh, that cannabis dispensary. I presume, Dave, that he wants a yes vote. Am I correct on that, that he wants to approve it? I believe so. Okay. So he, he they've done their, um, Due their vetting. Yeah. And uh, I presume there have been meetings about this in the community. Uh, and the time has come uh, to vote for it. And yet. Yeah. Uh, for, and it's an expansion. It's not an establishment. It's an expansion, not an establishment. Uh, so it's already an existing business. And uh, so under the rules of automatic prerogative, all you automated prerogative freaks out there, it should be Jim Gardner. He should be totally in charge. But apparently, uh, Mayor Lightfoot is uh, signaling to black aldermen that they want to go slow on this because the state has been egregious, uh, to put it mildly, uh, in making sure uh, that black entrepreneurs get a little piece of this growing cannabis buy. So it's once again, more evidence as if any more is needed. That automatic prerogative is a myth. doesn't really exist. Just a boogeyman used in the last election to help Lori Lightfoot uh, win. <laughs> and uh, yeah, more examples of it. Now, how would I have voted in this one? Hmm. Dave, I have to tell you, I think I would have been with the uh, one of I would have voted to uh, hold off on it because I think that the, the issue of being fair uh, in terms of who gets a piece of that uh, cannabis pie 
is greater than the need of a local alderman to completely control zoning as a ward. Just saying, that's how I would have voted. How about you, young man? How would you have voted? I'm not going to, I'm going to duck that question. I'm I'm ducking (laughs) and dodging. Watch this. Whoa. (laughs) The the interesting question to me is what conversation or conversations were had between Chairman Tunney and Alderman Gardner leading up to this. Did it, you know, I'm imagining, you know, Tony calling up and say, look, Jim, we get, you know, uh, we're, we're close to getting the, the Black Caucus to, you know, compromise on this. Just give me a little more time. And, and Gardner's saying, no, man, I've given you two months already, you know. And I wonder if that conversation even took place. And I would just, because if it did, then, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, there was an attempt at, you know, at some um, detente, but I, you know, the, the cynic in me, uh, the pessimist in me suspects that maybe that conversation didn't take place. I don't know. It's hard to tell based on the, the conversation that you played because it looked, it sounded like Tony was really irritated at Gardner for raising this issue. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to, uh, to determine, you know, did they have a conversation and is now Gardner backing out of that conversation and sort of embarrassing Tony? Did they not have that conversation? Yeah. We'll never know. Getting him off guard. Mm-hmm. We don't know, but I, uh, uh, it, it, what it does underscore is uh, a point that you and I've made in the past. What's going on? In any city council vote or any city council debate is not completely above, you know, a board or uh, obvious to everybody. We're seeing the subterranean tip of the iceberg. Yes, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg in the subterranean text here, like this wheeling and dealing that's going on underneath. And you need to have it explained like you did uh, just now. Ah, so this is why the chess pieces are going here and there. And and in the middle of it, some poor alderman's got to figure out, oh, God, how do I vote? What's the correct way for me to vote? (laughs) 26 to 24. Wow. um, That is pretty close. Uh, But so much for alderman and prerogative, folks. Can we throw that one out the window yet? Huh, lefties? Can you admit you were suckered in the last mayoral election? Come on, lefties. I wonder how how Lespada voted. He's the first ward alderman. <laughs> I'm not going to look it up. Let's move yeah. on to the next thing. Okay. Dennis, please, we'll do Toledo next. At the end of every city council meeting, Ben, the city clerk staffer reads all the measures that aldermen want to introduce and which, and which committee to they're gonna, uh, that they're going to be assigned to for future consideration. What we're about to hear is what happened when the clerk staffer announced a proposed resolution by Alderman Mike Rodriguez on the South Side's 22nd Ward. Let's listen. Alderman Rodriguez has a proposed resolution for a tribute to the late Adam Toledo and commitment for preventing future tragedies by empowering and uplifting young people of color, which is referred to the Committee on Health and Human Relations. Madam President. The chair recognizes Alderman Rodriguez. So I'd like to briefly move to suspend the rules to speak on this resolution. Ordinarily, this is just simply referring ordinary matters to a committee. This is not really the proper place to speak to this. You can certainly speak to it during the committee process. I understand, Madam President, given the recency and the tragic nature of this occurrence, I just wanted to briefly speak to this resolution. It'll be under a minute. Briefly, Alderman Rodriguez. Thank you, Madam President. Um, And I'll just read from the resolution. I just want to raise up the situation as one that's internationally been recognized. 
The chair recognizes Alderman Cinco Lopez, but folks, we're not going to start a precedent here of speaking on matters that are simply being introduced. So Alderman Cinco Lopez, I will give you a brief moment to speak. Brief, sir. And I won't take long. I think Alderman Rodriguez has already mentioned the urgency of the situation for hearts of the family of Adam Toledo, a real difficult time in our community. And what our community demands and deserves is more than prayers and platitude, but action, Mayor Lightfoot. We have a bill right now, and you know this very well. We have the Empowerment Committee for Public Safety. We sir, need to pass it. Sir, you, Mayor you, are, you are now out of order. I'm not you are now out of order. You are out of order. Mr. Clark, please move on. Mr. Clark. Let's go. Alderman Telefiero has proposed ordinance for amendment of municipal code chapter 17-12 and 17-17 to further- Sir, please, out of respect for the chamber, lower your voices. We are proceeding with business. Go ahead, Peter. What do you think, Ben? First of all, thank you for uh, providing that. I read about it in the newspaper, but I hadn't heard it. And I was, it's much more fun to listen to. It, it you know, it's a very, obviously, let's, okay, obviously. This is serious. serious. I shouldn't say that. This is serious. Uh, yeah, Adam Toledo, um, the killing of Adam Toledo and the situation were in a very serious matter. Um, but what makes me smile is <laughs> just the ongoing struggle uh, and we've chronicled it, uh, Dave, you've done a good job of chronicling it, uh, of Lori Lightfoot to try <laughs> to try to force the alderman to follow whatever like rules she has promulgated as to how the meeting is going to go and how the occasional alderman, it seems like Byron Sixto Lopez more than others is resisting her attempts to tell him what he can say, when he can say it and how long he has to say it. And that one was just straight out of Old Daily. And Old Daily, youngsters, means the Daily before the Daily who was mayor when you were born, Richard J. Daly. And when he disagreed with a uh, an alderman, if he felt an alderman was out of order or he didn't like what the alderman was saying, he would just have the alderman's mic turned off. He would make a motion to whatever the whoever the, the person is in charge, the audio guy. Uh, and the guy would turn off the mic and you would see an alderman talk. <laughs> you couldn't hear him. And I just think it's so ironic that Dick Simpson of the 44th Ward, I've mentioned this before, uh, was the one. There's that famous picture of his, you know, his mic had been turned off and they bring the sergeant of arms and they force him to sit down. And Dick Simpson, a big supporter of uh, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so at least symbolically, you think Lori would just say, you know, let him speak. But nope. Rules are rule. And we said, this is matter. It's just a, we're sending it to committee and you're not allowed to speak to the matter. And so that's all there is. And you know what? She did open, you know, I got to say, she let Rodriguez speak to it, Dave. I'm just saying. So if you let Rodriguez speak to it, then you got to let Byron speak to it. She let the camel's nose under the tent. (laughs) You know how that turns out. Anyway, she's upset because he's bringing quote unquote politics into it. Because he's talking, obviously, he's connecting uh, the the death of Adam Toledo to the larger issue of uh, police relations with uh, black and brown communities. It might have been hard to catch there, but what he was trying to talk about was the fact that the um, public safety chair, Alderman Chris Taliaferro, has been essentially helping the administration, some would characterize it, 
is sitting on the community police uh, council that the uh, police reform task force that Lightfoot shared before she was mayor suggested and that community groups have been working for years to craft and then uh, came to a uh, compromised together different community groups, the, the so-called GAPA and CPAC proposed ordinance. And then recently the mayor um, reportedly uh, asked that th- those consideration of those, um, those proposals be put on hold in favor of an alternative proposal that the mayor has not yet surfaced. So that's, that's what, um, before he was cut off, what Alderman Sigil Lopez was saying, look, we need action on this now. And she's like, no, you're not talking about that. Yeah, exactly. Well done, Dave. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's a good uh, encapsulation. And, uh, you know, I like to say the reality is that there's, how do I put this? There's no consensus, citywide consensus on this issue. It's a very divisive issue. The notion of how much latitude should police officers be given uh, in their interactions with everyday citizens. So if they shoot uh, an everyday citizen, if they kill an everyday uh, citizen, how much punishment will they face immediately and who will uh, enact that punishment? Uh, and the police union's point of view is uh, the police are, um, are always right, even in the case of, of Laquan McDonald shooting. The police officer was right. Uh, and you take that's their extreme position. And then there's the other extreme position, which is that the police officer is always wrong based on history and history, you know, of uh, interactions between police officers uh, killing uh, citizens. And so somewhere in there, the the mayor of city of Chicago, in this case, Lori Lightfoot, before her, Rahm Emanuel had no idea before him, Mayor Richard J. They did Richard M. Daly. They didn't know, Dave, how to approach this. They were too afraid of going too far uh, with community activists and then enraging the police union and the supporters of the police uh, union. And just this notion that homeowners in general want more police in their neighborhoods. Uh, and, And yet they didn't want to look like they were completely and utterly indifferent to uh, a senseless murder. So that's kind of where we are. So wait a minute, are you saying that the mayor's, um, uh, I don't know what to call it, waffling or delaying on a citizen, a citizen commission to help run policing in Chicago is based on ambivalence among the population? Yes, I do believe that's part of the case. I do believe that the population is sending out a mixed signal, a very mixed signal on this matter. And there's uh, extreme positions on both sides. Uh, but in the middle, it's uncertain where people stand. So, for instance, uh, it's just in the Adam Toledo shooting. I've heard it throughout the city and just ordinary conversations with people. I've read about it uh, in the newspaper, you know, like Mark Brown, the Chicago Sun-Times columnist. I don't know if you saw this wrote a column where he said, I've looked at that video. I'm going to upset. I know I'm going to upset a lot of people, but I believe that you should not punish that officer for shooting Adam Toledo. Troy LaRabia came on this show, said the exact opposite. Uh, and so there's ambivalence. A lot of people just go, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. 
Uh, and then there's the reality that in wards where Lori Lightfoot ran very well, like the 19th ward, the, the outer where a lot of police live, 19th ward on the southwest side, 41st ward on the northwest side. Guns and hoses neighborhood. Yeah, that's you know, fire cops and firefighters live there. Uh, there's strong opposition to any attempt whatsoever to have civilian control uh, over the police department and have or have civilians get a say in, uh, you know, whether police officers are fired or not for a shooting. Uh, it, we're seeing this right now with the head of the police oversight agency resigning. Uh, that's in the front pages of today's newspaper. We, we won't go down there. But yes, we will, we will in a minute. Okay, I guess we will. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't. <laughs> He's blind. He doesn't know what the just bits are. Just a teaser. Uh, such a teaser. So, yes, I would say there's ambivalence in the city of Chicago. I hear it on my own show where different guests come on and offer up different uh, thoughts. And So I wonder, I wonder if more transparency would help make up some Chicagoans' minds around what, you know, what sort of and uh, how soon different kinds of control or management of police should take place. And this dovetails nicely to this next bit. Dennis, please, we're going to do data next. And this bit comes from a different meeting. Uh, and this is related to what we're talking about. We're now going to hear parts of the April 16 joint meeting of the Committees on Finance and Public Safety, which met to consider only one item. An ordinance introduced last September by Finance Committee Chair and 32nd Ward Alderman, Scott Wagespeck. And this would require uh, the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety to publish a public database of closed complaints against police officers. This ordinance is, for those keeping score, record SO2020-3999. And first we'll hear audio from the committee then we'll hear comments about the ordinance from Mayor Lori Lightfoot at a press conference she held the day before. Let's listen. This is a communication regarding the municipal code to add a new section 2-56-235 to require the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety to publish a public database of closed complaints against the police. I just want to introduce Deborah Witzberg. She is our Public Safety Inspector General. As many of you know, there are existing Office of Inspector General dashboards available to the public, which are searchable by member of the Chicago Police Department and which provide certain categories of information about finalized disciplinary investigations. The system that's proposed here before you represents both sort of a broadening and a deepening. It's a broadening in that the proposed system before you would extend both further back and further forward in time than the existing dashboards and a sort of deepening in that this would be enriched by the addition of redacted public documents from the associated investigative files underlying the records available. Within the first year, what would be publicly available is that information from the year 2000 forward. In the second year, we would do two things. We would extend back in time from 2000 to 1994, and the second piece would be the attachment of newly reviewed and redacted investigative records from 2015 to 2022. The last sort of piece is the requirement for twice yearly hearings for the council. 
those are envisioned as an opportunity for us to report on progress and feasibility and cooperation from other city entities. Those hearings are envisioned to allow for and in fact require an ongoing thoughtful weighing of costs and benefits involved in the continued expansion of this resource. So there's no sort of runaway train here with respect to effort or burden or expense, um, but rather there are these sort of built-in checkpoints to ensure that we continue to measure the costs and benefits of any expansion of this resource. Chairman Dahl. I'm asking about the second deliverable, 1994 to 2000. What is that cost? We do not have a sort of standalone cost for the expansion at this point in 1994 to 2000. We would report on that in that second year hearing. So the costs that we've estimated cover back to 2000. Do you have an idea of what would be included in your budget request upcoming for the year 2022? We are estimating the year one costs at $709,000. 709 million? is our estimate for year one cost. Could you share your thoughts about Alderman Wagesback's ordinance that would require the city to publish a database of closed police misconduct complaints? Is that something you'll support? No. Why? As I understand the ordinance, it would require the city to digitize decades worth of old CR files of officers who are no longer on the force, may have passed away at this time. And the expense, because we looked at what would make sense, would be significant. And I'm not sure what we gain, what the public gains to go back to the 1970s. I think it's challenging when we're talking about literally spending tens of millions of dollars, and it'll take a long time. So that's the mayor's uh, reaction beforehand. And I just want to say in the committee, the discussion went on for about uh, an hour and three quarters, at the end of which there was no vote taken. And I'll just say, I wonder where whether the mayor's stated opposition about cost is really what's going on here. Because as I said before, I'd sure like to know what the conversations that were that between the mayor's office and Alderman Wagesbeck who has you know, been a proponent of this, and he's arguably one of the mayor's strongest allies. So it's, it's just very curious to me. Yeah, and uh, when Dave Goad says, I, wa- I wonder if the mayor's uh, concern over costs is the real issue here. That's his editorial way of saying, I don't believe it for one second. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the uh, witness in that, he- that hearing, and I can't remember her name. She is the uh, Deputy in- uh, Inspector General for Public Safety, and her name is Deborah... I'll get it to you in a minute. It doesn't matter. But anyway, the point is, she she said it was $709,000 for the first year. Uh, So somehow or other, that gets translated into tens of millions. (laughs) Extrapolated, perhaps, is the word you're looking for. Expanded. Oh, this proves my point. And this just proves my point. You know, the mayor is very sensitive um, to offending portion of Chicago that doesn't want any kind of spotlight uh, put onto this matter. Now, personally, I, I'm a big public records geek. I don't believe it's that difficult to put this, um, you know, to publish these records. Apparently neither does the inspector general's office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah Wurtz, Deborah Wurtzberg is her name. Yeah. 
Very well spoken, by the way. Uh, I was kind of envious as I was listening to her. She goes, oh my God, I wish I could speak that way. Um, <laughs> they hire. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and listen, Dave, you were there when Mick and I inter- uh, interviewed Lori Lightfoot at the hideout. Uh, and there were uh, activists in the room who uh, challenged her on her attitude toward police and reforming the police and putting a spotlight on the police. And she was trying to convince us that, no, there's no reason for them to be hesitant. It's not fair to call her a cop. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say she's a corporate lawyer. She's very cautious and she holds on to power and information is power and they didn't want to release it. Uh, And just because they don't have to. And I just don't believe it helps the city. I mean, we've been struggling with this issue of police relations with black and brown communities, mainly black communities, for as long as I can remember. And we just are incapable, unable to have a breakthrough uh, in Chicago. I mean, I guess it's sort of say it is progress that uh, in the in the case of the shooting of Aquam McDonald, the the, um, the video was uh, published. Now, we took a judge to issue an order forcing Mayor Rahm to publish that, if you recall, in a Freedom of Information uh, lawsuit. Uh, and then there was subsequently a trial. The only reason it was that trial is because that video was forced to be released. Uh, the only re- reason why I think they even uh, uh, indicted him was because that video was released. So there's always this, what, this, this, the city is always resisting efforts to get it to publish the, the sad and dirty truth about what's going on in this town. And they're still resisting effort. Even if we're talking, Dave, about stuff that would happen in the 70s. I don't know, a young scholar, a scholar could pour through this and come up with a very important book that would help us or a study that would help us understand. You know what I'm saying? What the city we live in and the relationships between the police and the public uh, and the attitudes of race and how they play a part in all this. But no. I think we're and I think we're at a at a very interesting inflection point in, uh, around what I mentioned earlier in that a proponent of this transparency resource because that's exactly what it is is the person who Mayor Lightfoot appointed to head the most powerful committee, which is the Finance Committee. And I'm talking about Alderman Scott Wagesbeck. So I, I'm really curious to see how this plays out. They're, yeah. they're clearly on opposite sides of this fence. And it's going to it's going to tell us something to see what what, if any, compromise yeah. emerges here. Yeah, we'll have to watch this one for a while. Scott Wagsbeck uh, made a reputation for himself uh, three terms, I want to say, before uh, Lori Lightfoot became mayor and he joined her team as being an independent minded alderman who was unafraid uh, to stand up to the mayor. And this goes back to his first term as a rookie alderman when he uh, had the guts to vote no on the parking meter deal and uh, issue a report. He was a very young alderman, first-termer. My God, I remember Richard Mel going, what are you doing? <laughs> Richard Mel, of course, the machine alderman from the 33rd Ward. He sat next to Scotty in the uh, city council, 32nd Ward. And he, and he gets to, he got to vote right after uh, Wagesbeck, because yeah. Wagesbeck's 32, right? I know, so Wagesbeck would make his vote that would be against Daly. <laughs> no, like, Mel would be, his body would be moving away. Oh, don't, don't link me with this commie. Yeah, it's fun to watch his face. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll see. We'll see how this one plays out. Well, let's move on, shall we? Dennis, please, we'll do bait next. 
we're going to jump back to the for the April 21 city council meeting what happened after the city council meeting and what has traditionally happened after city council meetings before the pandemic is that there would be an exodus of reporters from the city council meeting to a meeting room back behind the council chambers where the mayor were, would hold her uh, post council press conference and that was paused in a way during the pandemic uh, because of the um, access rules in, in city hall what they were doing was they would have a couple of pool reporters. They would have a cameraman, a camera person, and a usually a TV broadcast reporter. And people could send in email or text their messages to the pool reporters. And then those that person would ask the questions of the mayor. So on TV, it still looked like the mayor was having a press conference in front of people and asking their questions, but it was really not nobody in the room. Well, now... Uh, they're allowing that. So this is um, this is like, you know, the first time that reporters could then uh, uh, file out of the council chamber after the, uh, the council meeting and then go in, in a distance way to this room and um, uh, be interrogated, uh, interrogate the mayor and then have her also uh, speak her mind to a group of reporters. So in this clip, we're going to hear Mayor Lightfoot responded to questions from reporters about rumors that Police Superintendent David Brown would resign. The mayor also made reference to statements that appeared on Twitter several days earlier that she was about to resign. Let's listen. I hate to even bring up when there are rumors, but... But you're going to, so go ahead. You put to bed what came up about you over the weekend. Now the rumors are just hot and heavy that David Brown is on his way out. So let me just hopefully drive the nail in that coffin once and for all. What's clear to me is that people who don't like how we're moving forward and breaking up the status quo are trying to spread ugly, offensive, and false rumors in order to create chaos. And some of you are taking a bait. And so I, one of the things I would just say to you all is ask yourselves, when you see this madness circulating on social media, you don't have to be like fish and bite at every piece of chum that's cast on the water. Some of the stuff that's out there that you guys take as legitimate is outrageous and preposterous on its face. I'm not finished. Let me just finish. It's preposterous on its face. You're not doing a service to anybody by giving credibility to nonsense. You're not. And frankly, I think it delegitimizes the role of the media. We need a vibrant, thorough media in this city that pushes all of us, that holds all of us accountable. But you're not doing that when you roll around in the depths of cesspools created by anonymous people on social media. David Brown is the superintendent of this police department today, tomorrow, in the future. Done. We are done. We are done. Madam Mayor, it's not just reporters who have questions about Superintendent Brown, but members of the city council yesterday and today pointed out to me that during an extraordinarily stressful time for the Chicago Police Department in the recent week, two or three, we haven't heard much from Superintendent Brown. Have you asked him not to speak out? And can you explain can you explain why he hasn't spoken? I don't think that's I don't think that's true at all. He is speaking in the right and appropriate ways. This constant like he's going to Dallas, he's leaving. It's just nonsense. And it's destabilizing. And frankly, it's insulting. So people can, and if they've got questions, call him up. People don't hesitate. If they've got questions, call me up. 
But this constant, somebody posted something on Facebook and therefore it must be true. I mean, I just feel like I should distribute copies of News of the World and let you all uh, ask me questions from that. It's just, it's just silly. It's silly and it's dangerous. When we get to a point where there's no sussing and vetting of rumors before they are presented as fact. What you're asking me or the superintendent or others to do is disprove a negative because you guys have bought into something that's just silly. And we saw that on broad display this weekend. And I'm not even going to get back into that again, but it's, it's just, it's too much. I want you all to be as you all are. It's not about me wanting. You have a role to play, a very important role to play in our city and in our nation. I value and respect and safeguard your right to do your job, to be aggressive, to ask tough questions, to hold all of us accountable. I would just ask that you take the time to think for a second and ask yourself if what you're actively chasing actually even makes sense. I had that conversation with one of your colleagues over the weekend, and they rolled out this fantastical story. And I just said, can you just stop and listen to what you just said and how how absurd and crazy that is? <laughs> I just want to say for the record that there was no glass shattering at the press conference. And, and I don't know, it might be sheer coincidence, but Superintendent Brown, the very next day, had a nearly one-hour open-ended question press conference. So it might be just sheer coincidence. That was great. I have to tell you, but it was, it was a flannery. I think that was flannery talking, right? You're right, yeah. Well, and <laughs> give me an opportunity to do my flannery invitation. My flannery <laughs> channel 32 came on the show a long time ago. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a performance by uh, Mayor Lori Life. I had not heard that. Uh, <laughs> what a great performance. Just That's the outrage. I'm just outraged. Oh. And, and if there was only like two reporters in the room, I don't think she could have pulled it off. Right. But she had, you know, all this pent up uh, reporter demand that arrayed in front of her and uh, she got to uh, speak her mind. All right. So let's go back. I'm now going to defend the City Hall press corps. OK, Boy, these guys got a tough job. No matter what happens, Lori Lightfoot's going to be nasty to them. Just let's think about this, folks. The press corps did not start the rumors that Lori, there was trouble in Lori Lightfoot's marriage. That was a rumor that hit the media. Probably, I my bet is from having followed it and talked about it on the show and read about it, it began with rumors put out by the police department, somebody in the police department. And J-Ball Green, what's that? Or the union. Or the police union, yeah. Well, presumably someone in the union is whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Somebody related to the police one way or the other. Jamal Green went a little far and he put out publicly Jamal Green, the activist, former mayoral candidate put out uh, on his Twitter feed. Uh, I, st- I kept a copy of it, by the way, this, this uh, statement that Lori Lightfoot's going to step down tomorrow. He issued it on a Saturday. So that tomorrow will be Sunday and immediately lefties everywhere in the city of Chicago were so ecstatic. <laughs> they were like, Oh my God, Lori Lightfoot's leaving. I know this was, I was getting the texts. I, they were firing off at me and I give the media credit. 
the quote unquote mainstream media, the established media. I did not see any mainstream reporter. Dave, maybe you can correct me on this going public with that. You know what I mean? So contrary to what Lori Lightfoot said, they showed restraint. Now in the aftermath, let me ask you this, ladies and gentlemen, in the aftermath of 24 hours of people losing their mind on Twitter <laughs> uh, over a rumor, which uh, turned out not to be true, which the mayor felt compelled to rebut the next day in uh, a tw- her own tweet. Are reporters not supposed to write about this? And some, I mean, have, so- some have pointed out that the mayor did not do herself a service by responding, that she called further attention by, by, make, by making her own response and, and, and being kind of snarky about it. Well, I'm going to now here disagree with that point of view and defend the mayor. Here we go. I mean, ignoring a rumor that hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people are circulating is doesn't do service to anything. I mean, you have to address it if everybody's just whispering about it. And I know. I know I cannot tell you how many uh, people uh, sent me texts or calling me up about it. So I know that it had to be dozens and dozens more. So I don't, I I'm defending the mayor. I think you have to deal with it. You have to confront it. Uh, That's the reality of tweeting social media. And that's where we exist right now. So for the mayor to get up there, uh, and chastise the reporters. It's it's again playing the victim card that we see so many people do these days. Dave, the Republicans do it. Everybody's playing the victim. Oh, poor poor Lori Lightfoot. And, uh, and to I, your I don't- point, and to your point, Ben, the, the the media arguably did not. The reporters arguably did not jump in and start furthering uh, tweets. But what they did do is they contacted the mayor's office and the mayor to find out, like, is there a story here? Yeah. I think that's an appropriate response. It sounds like what she was complaining about. Yeah. Well, that, 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 and that's what I'm saying is that complaint is an attempt to play the victim card. It's not a, of course they have to call her. These rumors are out there. And by the way, you know what, for the mayor to pretend as though, Either she or her media people do not circulate rumors that undercut the opposition is the biggest eye roller laughing point of this. Wait, that happens? Uh, I'm outraged that you would do what I do all the time. Don't do what I do all the time. You know what's you know what's, you know what's funny is uh, oh, even God. though even though this rumor around Brown leaving Superintendent Brown leaving was out there, we heard no rumors before. I think before the head of Chicago Public Schools, Janice Jackson, announced her resignation on May third, yeah. and Sydney Roberts, the head of the Chicago Office of Police Accountability announced her resignation on May 5th. So there was like, somebody got the rumor wrong, you know? Yeah. I know it's listen, mayor's complaining about press coverage. It's, it's a great tradition in Chicago. I, 
I can remember uh, Daly, Daddy Daly doing it. Uh, Harold Washington, do I? He always was always mad at Walter Jacobson for something or another. <laughs> uh, Jane Byrne kicked the Tribune guy out of City Hall. So this is just part of the game, and you know, I I probably be pissed off too. You have to deal with negative news all the time, but it is kind of funny to hear like the mayor give a lecture on what's responsible. And let's, can we, can we just be responsible here and not engage in mindless rumor? Um, uh, no, we're human beings. Uh, and when the word's going around that a powerful person's marriage is in trouble as human beings, we're going to be diving. Did you hear about the mayor's? So, so, yeah. so in some ways, this, this, this is kind of reassuring as a return to post-pandemic normalcy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. well, although let's I don't, yeah, let's move on. But uh, anyway. Dennis, please, we're going to do Drive next. Mm. This last bit comes from a later meeting, um, in an April 29 meeting of the Committee on Transportation and the Public Way. We're going to hear the committee consider an ordinance that would rename Outer Lakeshore Drive to Jean Baptiste Point du Sable Drive in honor of the African descendant who is regarded as the first permanent non indigenous settler of Chicago. And the ordinance involved here, which for those keeping scores, record SO2019 7918, was first introduced to the council in October of 2019, has many sponsors, the chief of whom is. David Moore of the Southside 17 Ward. At the start of this bid, we'll hear from committee chair Howard Brookins. And I want to warn our more sensitive listeners that this clip contains profanity. Let's listen. I am going to ask Assistant Commissioner Carney to read a substitute ordinance. Point of order. Yes. I'm not introducing a substitute ordinance. I don't know why one is being read. So they're substituting my ordinance for their uh, own ordinance? Let's read it, and then you can vote it down one way or the other. Is that okay? No, it's not okay, because okay, it's, they, are it? they introducing another ordinance? Can I conduct my meeting? You can, but they have to introduce okay. another ordinance. The substitute will roll with me. I will have to introduce a substitute ordinance. This language in this ordinance clarifies and makes legal what it is that you are attempting to do. No, it does not, based on what I read. Commissioner Kearney, why is this language necessary, and what's the difference between this language and the language that was proposed by the sponsor, David Moore? CDOT has a maps and plats section. This was that section's review on how to accurately describe the section of roadway and to distinguish the concern about inner or outer Lakeshore Drive this was their uh, proposed correct legal description of the roadway, and then that was reviewed with the law department. Do you have any questions, Alderman Moore? I don't need a question. A motion to table this. It is not accurate. We had over a year that we've asked for what you all's description would be. It was not given. We worked in every aspect that we could, and anything that needs to be clarified even more don't need to be addressed at this meeting right now. We put our amended ordinance out to cover from Hollywood to 67th Street, which is clear and acceptable language. If you need to identify it as anything else to this point, to that point, can be done after this. So it's just a motion to table that ordinance. That's not a substitute ordinance. That totally changes the entire ordinance that's on the table today. Alderman Smith. How far south would that take the designation 
it would include the South Lakeshore Drive extension, which goes from 79th Street to Ewing. Yeah, so it's to the hundreds. It takes Thank it to- you. That's a whole new ordinance. There is no motion pending. So your motion right now is out of order. Technically, there's nothing pending. He's just describing a proposed substitution without a motion. And people are asking questions. This racist bullshit. Alderman Riley. Perhaps the original ordinance sponsored by Alderman Moore may have been a little too vague on the definition whereby the inner drive could be in play. Yes, the first ordinance, the language that was proposed does not clarify that inner and outer. Alderman Thompson. I understand the sponsor's concerns that it's the first he's being made aware of this, but maybe we ought to have an ability for him to fully be briefed on this before we move forward. If Alderman Moore is not willing to accept the substitute, and if the department feels that it includes some of the outer and inner drive, then I guess people who had the understanding that it did not include the inner drive will have to vote accordingly if he won't accept the substitute. Oh, that's, that's fucking bullshit. And I don't care what nobody says. Whoa, say. whoa, hey, whoa, 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 decorum. Okay, I'm decorum. for decorum. This is disrespect. Alderman Taylor. Man, y'all want to understand why Alderman Moore is mad because you could have went to him and talked to him. He is not a person that's not unreachable. He is not a person that will not talk and work with this administration. This is crazy. But y'all expect us to go along to get along, and that's not going to happen. And so he has every right to be upset because we don't do this in other communities. Chairman, this is Radio Casa from the Law Department. If the original matter introduced by Alderman Moore passes now to correct that there has to be another ordinance introduced in the city council and referred back to committee for consideration. Alderman King. I don't disagree with getting it right, but I will say that we changed Lincoln Yards the day of city council. So to suggest that we don't make minor changes between committee and council routinely just makes you wonder why we have different rules at different times. There's a lot going on here. And um, let me just point out that apparently the administration dropped an ordinance revision, what the CDOT staff or the Chicago Department of Transportation staff were called a correction on the committee at the last minute. Mm -hmm. And the way I read it, Ben, is that Chairman Brookins wanted to just roll with it. That not only caused resentment by aldermen who say that the administration often keeps them in the dark till they have to vote, but we heard the law department staffers say that if the original ordinance got passed and then recorrected, it'd have to go back to the committee for approval again before passage by the full council. And at the end, we heard Alderman King say, well, we don't have to do that because we've we've avoided that before. Yeah, there's a lot going on this. And that was really uh, illustrative. Uh, It's sort of a larger theme that we've been discussing, which is the, uh, what you call the iceberg. We only see one part of the iceberg above the water. And until I heard this actual debate, Dave, I didn't really understand what was going on. You know, just based on reading the newspapers accounts of it, I didn't realize what's going on until I actually heard this debate. And now it's it's sort of like 
coming into focus. And uh, so this is the issue. This is the issue of changing the name, officially changing the name of Lakeshore Drive to DeSable. Uh, and uh, so it's always controversial in Chicago when you change the name of some great landmark, even not a great landmark, when Sears Tower was changed. I forget what, Willis Tower? I, I was like, I'm not, I remember, I think we did a show on this, our, our, our old podcast, Dave. I'm not gonna call it anything but Sears Tower. But in fairness, those are private property and the public. Those are private properties, saying, yeah. But they're not paying me to call it Willis Towers. I remember that was my point. And United Center, I still call it Chicago Stadium. There won't uh, be any council debates on it. Though. <laughs> yes. So they're officially trying to change the net, but So there's there's always that uh, reluctance to change. Well, we've always called it Lakeshore Drive, and there's songs about Lakeshore Drive. One of Dave uh, Glowatz's favorite songs uh, about that, uh, that happens Drive. to be true. Yeah. And, and <laughs> how did I know that? You want to sing a snatch of it or two, Dave? No? Okay. There um, ain't no road just like it anywhere I found. Running south on the south, I mean, Lakeshore Drive. Headed into town. Wow, you got a nice voice. <laughs> he sings a lot better than I do, that's for sure. And by the way, it sounds fine with DeSable. Rumored to be a song about hallucinogens. Yes, because of LSD, Lakeshore Drive. And it goes, good old LSD. Think about that, folks. Ooh, uh, Think about that over a bong sometime. Uh, so anyway, so there's always that reluctance. But in addition to that, this is where they get into the um, uh, the different boundaries. There's those legal boundaries. If you have ever looked at a city ordinance that has to do with property, there's the legal boundaries. It's this gobbledygook. It's like one giant paragraph of jargon. Think of TIF uh, district descriptions. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, uh, and then there's just what our notion of the boundaries are. So uh, David Moore's first uh, proposal to change the, uh, the drive, the name of the drive went from Hollywood on the North to 67th street on the South. And they obviously, uh, Dave, they, it seems like the city wanted to just keep that to the actual outer drive itself and not include the inner drive uh, as well. And so probably because they didn't want to have to uh, force people to change their addresses. Am I correct on that one, young David? Uh, sort of. The way Moore tells it is that he had conversations with the administration in which he asked for the precise language, and he, I don't know if you noticed, he said it very briefly that he didn't get it. And until this moment, yeah. uh, it was dropped on the council. But unfortunately, the correction had, uh, I think the technical, technical word is a screw up, where this, when the city's version extended it all, way, all the way into, as uh, Alderman Smith's question elicited, down into the hundreds, yeah. instead of ending at 67th, as Moore had originally proposed. Yeah. So if if the so even the correction was the correction was incorrect. Yes, and but by the way, that would have been even more opposition because suddenly people all the way from uh, what is it sixty seventh to Ewing they said I just think of that stretch of Lakeshore Drive or the drive that goes all the way south uh, past South Shore Cultural Center etc. People along they would have to change their address as well, and because, I think because there is no inner and outer over there. Yes, exactly. So this it's is a, it's uh, a major screw up. Yes. By the people who were correct, quote, correcting, unquote. Yes. So you have to be really precise and specific uh, with the legal language of, of a road change because it's going to affect the addresses of people who live along the road. That's just 
That's reality. And we saw this fight. Uh, I talked about this on the show earlier, uh, Dave, when this thing erupted the first time with Stony Island. Remember when Mayor Rahm wanted to change Stony Island uh, for to Reverend Brazier Drive uh, to honor his uh, ally? And there was opposition. And there was opposition on a couple of fronts. There were some people who didn't like Reverend Brazier, but then there was opposition for people who didn't want their address changed. If you're a business or anybody has to change your legal address. So uh, it's a touchy thing when you start changing uh, the names of streets. That's why we have honorary designations. Well, okay, we're not going to go through the whole big production of officially changing the name of the street. We'll put that little brown sign up there, the honorary. Like I think there's a Mr. Bike sign outside uh, in throughout Logan Square honoring Dave Gloatz. Just made that up. There is no Mr. Bike sign. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Wait, there isn't? Somebody <laughs> took that down? <laughs> Could you imagine in honor of Dave Goetz, we're calling Kimball between Fullerton and Diversity, Dave I, Goetz. I prefer right. Sacramento. Sacramento. Okay. But anyway, the, uh, anyway the, so, the, more, the more interesting point here, I mean, what you're saying is interesting, but another interesting point. Thank you. That's is, a good way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> Your part's not interesting at all, Pat. Here's the interesting part. As we discussed earlier, apparently the administration did, you know, went back behind the scenes, yeah. crafted this elaborate change to this ordinance that has been sitting around now and being debated for over a year and dropped it at the last minute, not only on a David Moore, but on the other committee members. There was other discussion going on here that showed that the whole committee should have gotten the substitute ordinance even before it was discussed. And we, we heard, um, I heard in uh, other um, comments that Alderman was saying, oh, here it is in my end basket. I just got it, you know? And so yeah. it's, it just shows a, a certain uh, what, lack of process or lack of consideration. Well, you know, and it's funny when uh, Alder Woman King uh, said at the end, we were always introducing substitutes. I don't, I couldn't figure out which side she was on when she said that, but it did bring back memories of uh, the parking meter deal where uh, th- this massive deal where we sold th- this very valuable asset for a fraction of its worth uh, <laughs> was rushed through the city council with almost, with no oversight. We could just declare that uh, definitely no independent oversight. Uh, and Richard Mel, he's already gotten two mentions on the show, a machine loyalist. Is he a sponsor of your show now? <laughs> we should, hey, come on, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the Ben Drusky show sponsored by at the outside dentist would go Richard Mel. <laughs> um, but <laughs> anyway, Mel got up. No one reads this stuff anyway. Come on. <laughs> Remember that one? That great moment. Richard Mel speaks the truth. Then he's really mad at Waggis back. Well, you know, come on, kid. You're going to get killed for doing Anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, the city council has, it's not just the city council, but legislative bodies in general. There was always a discussion with this massive spending bill in Congress. Nobody's had the opportunity to read it. You know, the gambling bill that the state legislator passed at the last minute, what was it, 2019, making gambling uh, a casino legal in the city of Chicago. Nobody had an opportunity to read it. So this is another one of those moments, but this is very personal. It's a smaller matter, and they should have run it by Alderman David Moore. They should have let him know. So they didn't just out there hanging. And, um, yeah, that was a big oversight on the part of the administration. And they may, you know, instead of lecturing reporters 
on everything they do wrong and pretending as though it's reporters who are the reason why people are mad or upset at you, you might want to look in the mirror. Just say chickens roosted. Whoa. Chickens roosted. Chickens coming over. Well, Ben, that's all I've got for the April city council meetings. Well, you did a great job. And uh, now that I, uh, I realized what you had, you covered absolutely all the um, high points of debate in the city council. And the reason I say that is because I remember reading about these debates in the newspaper, uh, discussing them on the air and wondering, will Dave Glowitz have that in his monthly uh, summary? And you did. Just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence. So we're going to double your pay uh, and send you a check out tomorrow. Thank you very much. And hold, hold the Cadillac. Yes, hold the Cadillac. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave Glowetz, before you go, uh, tell folks where they can follow your the other good work that you produce on a regular basis. Well, find my reporting at Inside Chicago Government on your web. That's shygov.com, including a podcast that will have more content from these city council meetings that we just heard from. On Twitter, you can find my reporting at C-H-I-G-O-V-T and on Facebook.com slash InsideGov. That's Inside G-O-V. All right. Thank you very much, Dave Glow. That's an outstanding job, as you always do. And, of course, let's thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all Illinois, who pushed all the buttons on today's show and did it so well. Without him, we couldn't do this show. And as Alderman Howard Brookins and David Moore. They may not agree on everything, but they agree on this. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky or wherever else you download podcasts. You can always send us an email, bennyjshow at gmail.com. You can reach us online at bennyjshow, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have a phone number. It's true. Call us, 708-608-wait, 708-658-4788. That's what it is. That number again, 708-658-4788. Call the show. Leave us a voicemail. We're not going to answer, but it'd be great if you left us a voicemail. Tomorrow, we're covering the week in Chicago and or Illinois news. It's oh, what a week it was. Right now, um...